you like haunts? Yes. Do you like immersive theater? Yes. Do you like escape rooms? Yes. What's the safe word? My haunt life. Hello and welcome to the My Haunt Life podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. We're back. Hey, um, Mike. <laughs> hey. It's been a while. It, it has. And apologies to everyone and the show creators and all of those people for not getting things out sooner. But And thank you, by the way, to everyone who inquired. Yeah. Uh, life kind of got in the way uh, Boy, for both of, both of us. Like, <laughs> It's like when yours was ending, mine was starting. Uh, yeah. And... and uh... To to uh, be a little bit more expressive than than that, in my situation, I suddenly got faced with a phone call that my mom was actually uh, very ill, and I needed to suddenly rush to the other side of the country and deal with that situation. And uh, that took a few weeks. Uh, she's improving. Good. And uh, thank you to everyone who asked, who figured that out, uh, and uh, queried about my sudden disappearance from like social media and all events. And thank you. I, I appreciate those sentiments. And then when you were on your way back, I had to go back home, which I'm not going to get into, but kind of the same thing. Thank you to everyone who, who hit me up. Um, if you know the situation, you know. Um, and eventually I'll probably talk about it on here because there's immersive theater therapy that happens. Um so yeah, um, we're back. So a lot of these shows that we're going to talk about are probably a bit out of date, um, but we wanted to still talk about them because that's the whole point of this podcast is talking about stuff we've done. So yeah, even though it may, they may be late, we still did them. <laughs> so, and uh, first thing that I think we should dive into, Mike, is something that it took me a long time to get around to. Uh, I formed a, a, an escape room team. Uh, actually, uh, <laughs> from some work people, a few other friends, we all got together and finally I have done the pyramid escape room at escape room LA in downtown Los Angeles. And seriously, and I mean this with all my heart and soul, but finally, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know it took a while. I feel like I did this like three years ago. So no, we only did it a few months ago. Oh, I know, but kind of technically, um, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, it took a while and then, uh, half my team got sick because there was a stomach virus going around. <laughs> so on the on the night that we were supposed to do it, uh, we ended up having to cancel. So, uh, but finally, uh, and, and thank you to everyone who was on the team. And it was sort of a uh, wedding present to Brianna and Adam, and congratulations to them. Also part of the team were Dawson and Jake, who we've done escape rooms with before. So... Mike, you had talked about on the podcast how much fun this room was. Escape Room LA is a room that that also they do one of my favorite uh, rooms, which is the Alchemist. They do the theater, but I love both of those rooms. The Cavern is really cool. Uh, the thing I love about their rooms is is the sort of the environment and the interactivity which goes on with the room. Mm -hmm. Dude, this room was so physical. Yeah. And you had kind of hinted at that, and we it just we had an absolute blast. We did get out, uh, we did solve everything, and there's lots of things to twist and turn and rotate and line up, and the solutions to the puzzles are sometimes it sounds like your bedroom. 
<laughs> yes. Uh, and, and again, sometimes the solution there is visual. Um, Gross. so <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you led me there. Um, the a lot of these are puzzles where you have to move something physically in the room to either form a picture to form an equation to find the answer to an equation i love this room for that reason it's so physically uh involved in what you, how much things you have to touch and move and all of that and i told you at the time that there was one funny thing that happened uh and that was uh we were working on one of the very first clues and we immediately went into, I particularly immediately went into overthink mode. And because we were all people who uh, had done escape rooms before, the one of the very first clues is a very simple, it's, it's not in the first room, it's, but it's early on in the puzzles. And we must have lost four or five minutes trying to figure out what that clue meant. And then there's a guide in this room who, you know, make sure that if you need help or if you're doing something uh, that might damage the room, you know, there's just, there's a guide in the room. And um, the guide finally said, you might want to just re-examine the clue. And it literally was like, twist this. And we were all standing around going like, it can't just be that. (laughs) We have to be able to do something. We have to do something first. We can't... We completely overthought the beginning of the room and it cost us some time, but we we made it up later. Uh, And the other thing I wanted to say about this room is the design is so much fun. And yet the the production value is amazing. Oh, yeah. So beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's so beautiful. And the cool thing I thought was the way you sort of have to look in different areas for the puzzles there's a lot of we did a lot of running around, and that was the other humorous thing I mentioned to you at the time was there's a little bit of crawling that could be involved depending on, on what you choose to do in this room. And at one point, uh, we were crawling back and forth, and we realized that part of the answer was on one side of this wall, and I was on the floor looking into the other room because there's sort of a tunnel aspect. And, and I know there's a little bit of a spoiler, but uh, but it's very early on in the, in the room. So uh, as soon as it happens, you'll understand what I'm talking about if you do this room. We kept going back and forth and looking for stuff, and, and then finally we all stood up and we realized that there was actually a walkway around that we didn't have to be crawling through the tunnel. We <laughs> we were just doing that because we got so wrapped up in the puzzle and, and the fun of crawling back and forth that we we really didn't need to be that physical, but we were having a blast, so it turned out that way. Uh, but yeah, I highly recommend this room to escape room people in Los Angeles area. If you're visiting Los Angeles, Escape Room LA, uh, I consider it a tourist destination as far as I'm concerned. I think they're that good. So when I talked about this... Um... One of the things I said is there are a couple haunt-like moments. Were you able to experience those? I experienced one. Uh, I didn't experience the 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 last one. Okay. So because there's there, there are literally I think there's mainly two, and I I did the first one, and uh, uh, but yeah, um, yeah, I agree with you. There there's and it's that idea of like going someplace where you can't use all your senses immediately. Mm-hmm. So, which is a very haunt-like characteristic. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed this room. So glad I finally saw it. Uh, we had a blast. We had such a great time. Uh, and, you know, Escape Room LA, I consider, like, some of the funnest rooms. Yeah, another thing that I think needs to get mentioned for them is just when you think you're done and you're at the end, there's... Yeah. Well, nope. <laughs> yes. It just keeps going. And yeah. I love rooms like that. 
um, just because it just it keeps going because you think it's like, oh, there's a door. That's probably the exit. Yeah. And then that leads to another room. Then you're in that room. It's like, oh, there's a door. That's probably the exit. Oh, that leads to another room. And it just seems to keep going and going. And it's it's just it's just so fun. Yeah, we cut it very close. And I think when we I we were in the final what we thought was the final room. And then when something else opened up, we did have that reaction of like, oh, wait, we thought we had plenty of time and we don't. So, uh, yeah, it was an exciting room. It really was. For more information on Escape Room LA and their escape rooms, including the Pyramid, go to escaperoomla.com on Facebook, Escape Room LA, Instagram, Escape Room DTLA, and Twitter, Escape underscore room underscore LA. And you went to see some movies, too. (laughs) Yes, I did. Uh, We've mentioned this briefly before on the podcast, and I just want to draw attention to Uh, something that Screamfest LA is doing throughout this year. They have been kicking butt with their anniversary screenings of horror films. Uh, We had mentioned I had attended like a Friday the 13th New Blood anniversary screening. Uh, They had also done uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Master. And each of those had marvelous Q&As. Uh, with cast members, with the directors or writers, or uh, it, and it was just it was an awesome, awesome experience of both of those screenings. They have continued that, Mike, and uh, they. I, I and I went to the Leprechaun 25th anniversary, which is not personally one of my favorite films, but uh, it was a blast. And they also did Halloween Four: The Return of Michael Myers, a 30th anniversary screening of that, which was really interesting to see that on the screen again. I had not seen it since its original release. I was going to make a joke about that, but you just said it, so never mind. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you? I wonder when Halloween Four came out. Ten. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was old enough to see it in the theater by that time. I, um, I, I know. I, <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> so, but hey, we look at things from different perspective, partially because of our age difference. Um, also, you've, you've completely derailed my thought train here. That's <laughs> what I do. <laughs> um, they also did uh, Hellbound Hellraiser 2, a 30th anniversary screening of that with uh, Doug Bradley in person, apparently. Unfortunately, I missed that one. Uh, Dance of the Dead, which is really fondly recalled. I, I think you might have seen Dance of the Dead. It's a horror comedy, which is really, really fun. Uh, they did, a, I think, a 10th anniversary screening of that recently. So... Keep a lookout for ScreenFest LA, what they're doing, because these screenings, all of the Q&As that I have attended have just rocked. Uh, Quite often uh, hosted by Brian Collins, uh, who, if you recognize that name, you may know him from HorrorMovieAday.com. He also writes for Birth Movies Death. The guests that they have had, Mike, are so cool. If you're going to see this, any of these movies on a big screen and have a QA, and a I mean, they are really, really doing a good job with these screenings. And they're so much fun to see these things on the screen. Particularly after the Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Master screening, all those effects, there were visual effects in the movie, but practical effects are so impressive on the screen when you see them now, when you realize the time when they were done and the fact that everything is done so computer-generated these days, it's it's a blast to see these movies again on a screen. You know, Leprechaun, even though, like I said, it's not one of my favorite horror franchises or films, it was a blast to see those effects done. On, well, especially yeah. on St. Patrick's Day. Yes. Like, that just adds so much to yes, it. Yes, it, yeah, it was. <laughs> Which was awesome. 
So mainly a shout out to ScreenFest LA. Please keep these screenings up. We love attending them. They've been great. Uh, I always run into people that I know. Uh, and I actually, uh, you asked me how I was doing the night of the Halloween 4 screening. Because uh, that happens to be uh, on my birthday. And I walked into the lobby of the theater and there was a Michael Myers there who stalked me through the entire line as people watched. <laughs> so that was my birthday present was being stalked and hunted by Michael Myers. So Sounds about right. That worked out well. Uh, ScreenFest LA, you can learn more about them. And they have a killer film festival in October in Los Angeles. Uh, check out that when they announce the lineup, which will be much later in the year because the film festival isn't until October. Is, is that pun intended? No, it wasn't. Okay. <laughs> that was accidental. Uh, look them up on ScreamFestLA.com, on Facebook, ScreamFest, on Instagram, ScreamFestLA, and on Twitter, ScreamFest. Twitter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you caught me on a goofy night. So, uh, so what's the next, next? The next one is bitter <laughs> at the end. So, yes. Uh, Which you did. Last year, last fall, we attended a production called In Another Room, which uh, was the debut work, I believe, if I'm not, if I'm recalling that right. Wasn't that their first piece? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, E3W Productions did a show then called In Another Room, which was sort of a immersive ghost story that you, that you discovered as you wandered through a house. Uh, it was a, it was a lead immersive piece um, where characters led you from area to area and you learned the history of the hauntings of that particular house. Uh, they have come back recently with another exploration sort of, of, of death and grief and what that process can mean to those going through it and those left behind. Now, Bitter at the End started as a funeral, Mike, and you actually walked into a funeral and attended the service, and it made a leap from that into sort of a surreal moment where the service came to a close and you you got to witness some very, very distinct family tensions among family members at the service. And near the end of the service, you realize that you're going to actually follow the corpse through a portion of this show. And what they reveal is they reveal family secrets. They reveal unpleasant things and pleasant things that have happened in the past and the relationship of the person who died. She was a mother. She was a teacher. She was a lover. She was all of the things that you become in the course of a life. And all of the other characters represented those relationships. And also each of those characters sort of took on the tone of one of the seven deadly sins. So the second half of the show, as you sort of made this leap into almost a fantasy world after being in a realistic funeral setting, almost a fantasy world where you went off with one of these characters for some one-on-one -on -one time, and you got to do that with a couple of different characters. So if you saw this show multiple times, you would see different aspects of the relationships of the family. And I, I, I was very happy with uh, my my one on one focused mainly on a daughter who missed her mother a great deal, and the set design, the production design during all of this was a bit oddball because you walked into the circle of I don't want to say tense, 
but they were sort of like beach huts. Was the, the I walked into that room and saw the circle of of the individual spaces, and I thought beach huts, which was kind of funny. And the the characters sort of led you in and out of these things, and each one was decorated to represent an aspect of the relationship with the mom or wife or whoever it was. And near the end of this production, you went back with the person whose funeral you were attending. And here's the thing that I really, really like about this production company. They're willing to do oddball, surreal jumps of faith and fantasy. They are willing to go places and do things that make you think, but they don't draw attention. And one of the things they did was you you sort of maybe wound up in heaven with the person who had passed away. Their representation of heaven, Mike, was just heaven is a collection of what you have around you when you're alive. So for me, it would be mac and cheese and peanut butter M&Ms and pugs? Probably. <laughs> but it was it was the mundane stuff. You know, you walked into this area where it was just clutter uh, from the woman's life. And I, and I thought that was a wonderful touch because she was there and it was... You know, and in my mind, I made the leap of this is what she was surrounded with every day. And at the very end of the show, she gave her reflection on everything that you had learned, on everything that had been talked about on each of the characters that you met. She gave her own reflection. And she and here's again, I want to compliment this production company for having the faith in the audience to make somewhat bizarre leaps. She gave you the future of each of the characters that you had met. Oh, that's cool. So it, it, it was it was sort of the wrap-up at the end of a film when you saw, and for the next so many years, this person did this, and this person did that. And she sort of did that, and it revealed some surprises. But all in line and in theme with the overall piece. Now, there I've, I've talked to other people who had a problem with those jumps, like when you leave the funeral and you kind of go into this fantasy area where you're now having characters reflect on in flashback mode. And uh, I did, wasn't bothered by that at all. It, it was a theatrical choice, a very theatrical choice. And I, I totally went with it. And I talked to some other people in the audience that they had a little problem making that leap. I made it fine. I, I, it didn't bother me at all. Uh, and I will continue to support this company for the reason that they're willing to make choices like that. I think they're completely fascinating. So I, I really enjoyed Bitter at the End. Not an uplifting show. You know, even though the ending was sort of a, um, like everything will be okay, everything will be as it should be, uh, it, it was totally about the grief process. And about the frustration that people feel because something has been taken away from them suddenly or not suddenly, if that was part of the process. So it was a fascinating production. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, at times, I thought the pacing could be better. I thought there were some minor glitches here and there. But I love the fact that they are willing to make weird experimental choices in the presentation of the material and i feel that they did the same thing in, in another room which you and i saw so i really really enjoyed bitter at the end that's awesome 
and I would like to point people to their Instagram, which is E3W Productions, because they do have some lovely images from their work. Uh, and that's, uh, that's where you can learn more about their productions. So definitely this is, this is one of those companies and there are several around town right now that I just think their work is really, really interesting. And I definitely want to see what's coming next. And then a couple of things popped up. Literally, they were pop-up events. <laughs> that pun was intended. <laughs> that was very intended. Uh, that we both went to. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to these on different nights. And I'm really kind of curious. Uh, we haven't talked in detail about them. And I really, really, really like this trend uh, in in Hollywood because these have all been movie marketing. Yes. Um, it kind of started with uh, It uh, last year. Um, we had the Niebolt house and we were able to walk through that. And then, I mean, this, this was technically about movies. It was about DVD releases, but we went to, um, I forget the name, uh, name of the show. Was it, um, shock something? Uh, it was the 20th century Fox, uh, home video release. Right. But what was the name of, of that? Oh, event? um, horror rewind. It had like Carrie and the fly. Right. It had those scenes, but we talked about that before. Um, rec- most recently, uh, there was a, the stranger sequel uh, that had a pop-up and also a ready player one pop-up. Now strangers actually, you know what? Now that I think of it, the ready player one was the only non horror one so far. Mm-hmm. And is it a coincidence that we didn't like that one as much? <laughs> Maybe. You know, but but it, I think things like this lend itself to the horror genre way, way better because with the strangers, you know, you're there and you get terrorized and just like in the movie. So it was like kind of like a 10 minute version of the movie that you're in and Ready Player One, granted, it was beautiful, like the the production, the sets, like it was awesome. It looks like it came straight out of the movie, but it didn't really get me excited about the movie whereas the strangers did because i could feel the terror right i i agree with you uh i think the the way to describe the the strangers um i don't did you ever see the sequel not yet actually um the sequel takes place in a trailer park and the strangers pop-up was you were basically <laughs> led to a trailer and there you met a character outside the trailer you walked into the trailer and you watched a sequence that kind of reflected the feeling and the vibe of the of the film itself which was that it was a trailer under siege and i want to credit the cast and the crew that they created a really believable tense scenario as we walked into the trailer uh the masked man from the strangers film approached the door and so we had to quickly close it so he couldn't get to us and inside one of the creepy masked female characters came in and there was someone trying to help us and we actually witnessed a full choreographed fight sequence that was wonderful yeah it was awesome yeah as i'm talking jumping over the counters being slammed in the face with freezer doors uh it was wrestling it was being thrown across things and then we wound up in the bedroom of the trailer where we were sort of um let's just say messed with by a couple of the characters and uh there was lots of creepy creepy nice little touches about there was stuff on the ceiling of the trailer the there were uh all of the the sets reeked of that poor trailer vibe 
which has been ransacked and destroyed by the strangers. And that is lifted directly from the movie. It really does reflect the feeling and vibe of certain sequences in the movie. Um, particularly, I think, a sequence where uh, they, they re- there's a moment in the movie, Mike, where they return to a trailer and they encounter one of those villain characters. And I think that's, I think the pop-up of The Strangers did a very good job of capturing the vibe of that sequence. As you said, Ready Player One, the sets were beautiful, but somebody, and I had never heard this term before, and I have heard it since then, the term selfie palace. Mm. And that's what Ready Player One was, was it was a chance, they encouraged you to take photographs, they encouraged you to hashtag, they encouraged you to post selfies on social media that you were doing this. Um, I was not familiar with the story of Ready Player One before Uh, I had read a summary online, so I kind of knew what the vibe was. And the reason it didn't sell me on the movie, Mike, was if I had just not done any research and gone to that, I would have been convinced that it was about people living in a very poor neighborhood somewhere in the future in the suburb of a major city. Mm -hmm. And that's not what Ready One Player is about. Ready One Player? Ready Ready Player One. Uh, that's not what Ready Player One is about. It's about escaping that through virtual reality and mm-hmm. a game. And I know they tried inside to give you a clue as to the, that there was a virtual world. And they were trying to and say, like, oh, isn't it fun that you're playing in this in, in arena? Yeah, it was fun. And it, it looked cool, but it didn't really sell the movie to me. And it didn't capture any of the feeling of the movie. And I did go see the movie. So that was, it was a bit of a disappointment. And also they tried to have an immersive element where you were supposed to hunt for keys because that's a major plot point in the film. And the keys were so obvious and the cast, they did their best, man. And they, like they were having fun when I went through it, the cast was really enjoying themselves and doing a lot of interacting with the audience as patrons were coming through. But the whole immersive aspect of searching for a key the crowds were so big. The groups were so large. Yeah, it's once one person found it, it was just you just stand in line to get stamped. Yeah, and, and there, was one, there was one particular room where I walked in and there was one character in that room. And I immediately went, okay, if that character is standing very obviously in that corner of the room, my guess is the key is probably somewhere over there. And it was over there. You know, it's like the, he was he was trying to help guide certain people. Uh, So I didn't think the design and the planning of this thing were quite as intelligent as other pop-ups that we've seen. Well, and also one thing about the search for the keys is, did you know if you found all three keys, you got access to a hidden room? No. Exactly. That wasn't presented in the rules. Exactly. But that happened. There was a hidden room. Once you found all three keys you could go to this guard and he would like scan your hands. And if he had all three stamps, you went into this other room and it had like props from the film, which was really, really cool. But I did that. They did. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did find all three keys and I did do that, but I didn't realize that that was, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The description at the beginning of this was not very clear as to other than we're going to let you in here and you're looking for keys. But, you know, that that aspect of it, it's it just the design of this wasn't quite there yet, including the, the the second key. There was a group of I don't know how many people were in my group. I would think 20 people. And 
the key got uncovered by one person doing one thing. Yeah. And it involved a video game, which was reflective of the film. So that was odd for me. And then, of course, as soon as the one person uncovers the key, everyone got their hand stamped because they were trying to clear the room. But uh, as I said, as a selfie palace, if you want to use that term, it was it was hysterically fun. I found myself taking pictures of the toys in one room, toys that I didn't have as a kid that I but I remembered other kids having. And, you know, they had the gremlin stuff at one point that I was taking pictures of because they, they had really fun gremlins toys. And uh, there was numerous other stuff that I, I took pictures of and we had a good time, but I just don't it didn't sell the movie as well as other pop ups that we've been to. And going back to you mentioned the Niebold house for it, you know, there were interactive sequences in that where you could explore rooms like the Ready Player One challenge pop up. And but you had choices that you could make and there were different people in the group could make those choices in the Ready Player One pop up. Only one person could solve the thing. Mm -hmm. And in each of those rooms, that was that was the case, basically. Um so yeah, so it was it was a little bit disappointing, but I got to admit, like it was the production value of it was good, as you said, it was it was a really cool set. And one other thing I wanted to mention is, and and I'm not faulting them for this because it makes sense, it's smart. You know, you you leave through the gift shop basically. Yes, you do. <laughs> but here's the thing: if you're doing something like this, like this pop up that's a limited time only, have merchandise you can't get at the mall. You know, like mm -hmm. it, I, you know, I, and I guess that, you know, cause that's kind of like my background in, you know, work and stuff. Like it's, why would I want to buy something where it's like, it, there's no urgency because it's like, Oh, I'll just go next week and get it, you know, have something, especially in Hollywood with all the tourists, like have something that like, even if it's the regular shirt, but it says like, like Hollywood or something, yeah. you know, I don't know something that's uh, just me. They did. They did have. There was one thing that was exclusive there, but I, re I don't even remember what it was. And I, I remember when they said that, oh, this is the only place you'll get that. I wasn't interested in it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but yeah, but absolutely, I agree with you. Was I, I, I walked out and it was basically all of the stuff that was available would, would be available and was available at Hot Topic. Yep. Very specifically. And they said that to us. I was like, oh, yeah, if you don't get it here, you know, please visit your local Hot Topic. So uh, a mixed thing. I enjoyed doing it. I had fun. Got some good selfies out of it. <laughs> oh, jeez. Don't be one of those guys. So sometimes I am that guy. But I agree with you. Encourage this trend. I find it fascinating. I find it a really fun way of getting excited for a film. And one of the reasons I actually made the decision to go see Strangers in the theater, the Stranger sequel, was because I had experienced that pop-up. Nice. And the movie is really fun. And a couple of my friends had told me about it. And there is a sequence in the movie that I just think is worth watching the whole movie for. Uh, it's, it's very similar in tone and vibe and layout as the first film. But there is a stalk sequence in the middle of that movie that is edited and sound designed so well that it, I'm so glad I saw it on a big screen. Awesome. And because there wasn't enough stuff in LA for you to do, you <laughs> took a trip to Vegas yes, I did. during this time as well. So yeah, I was visiting a friend in Vegas and uh, there is a new immersive theater. What do you call it? 
it's a project. It's a series of pop-up events. It's a, uh, it's an interesting experiment. And I'm, I, uh, I actually was able to test for them. Um, this was slightly before it opened and, uh, the person, um, knows that I am a fan of, uh, majestic repertory theater in Las Vegas. And we talked about them previously last year. Yes, because they did uh, a couple of shows. I've seen several shows and, uh, Troy Hurd is the director of, uh, serial killers, you know, and love. And that is the name of this event is serial killers, you know, and love. And it is going to be a series of pop-up events. They are going on now and will continue going. I, I don't know what his plan is for how long they will continue, but it will be a series of short plays, immersive theater style, inspired by, but not necessarily telling the story of serial killers. The one that I sort of beta tested um, was inspired by John Wayne Gacy, but it was not a story of his victims. It was not a story of him. It was a story of someone else who had been influenced by a clown character that led to very grisly ends. And I don't want to say much more than that. I, I will say it's interesting. Las Vegas, I think, is a up-and-coming market for immersive stuff. I don't think they have a lot there yet. And the fact that Majestic Repertory is experimenting with this format, I think, is wonderful. I think Vegas is ripe for it. And I love the fact that these guys, who I've, I've known their work for a couple of years now, for actually even longer than that, I've been seeing shows... Uh, that they've had their hands in. So I love the fact that they're experimenting with this. And I don't want to say too much about it, but it, it's the classic immersive haunt-esque kind of vibe of you're told to show up someplace and then you go on a little adventure. And we encountered a character. It was a very, very small audience. It was only two people when I went. And I think he's going to try to keep it small. And I, I just think this is fascinating and I encourage it. And I had a really good time. Uh, we talked afterwards and the other person that I saw the show with Mike uh, was very unfamiliar with immersive theater. And so he turned into a bit of a jerk because he tried to make the show about him, which was very distracting. And, and so the way I handled that was I simply, anytime the actress interacted with me i dealt only with what she was talking to me about um and the other guy was cracking jokes and doing various other stuff so that was a little bit disappointing but that was one of the reasons they were beta testing was to find out how audiences react to that character and to some of the questions that she was putting to us as patrons beta testing is important oh yes so uh, serial killers you know and love uh, majesticrepertory.com is the website for the majestic repertory theater they do excellent work uh, we've talked about them before i recently saw a tennessee williams revival there uh <laughs> i've seen numerous shows from these guys um hand of god was a show that i saw with them that was one of the funniest shows i've seen ever in vegas i thought it was a wonderful comedy and they just do really solid work they're an award-winning theater company in las vegas and i love the fact that they are dabbling in this immersive field I think it's a good sign, and I wish them well. Um, again, MajesticRepertory.com is their website. However, if you want to have creepy stuff coming to your Instagram, check out Serial Killers You Know and Love, all one word, on Instagram. 
Uh, and then you came back and we actually went to something that we've gone to before. Yes. Uh, we went to the sixth installment of the Halloween Club Spook Show. And the Spook Show, for those who don't know, is a basically a flea market slash swap meet of Halloween and horror things. And it takes place at Halloween clubs in... La Mirada and their parking lot's taken over and they have a big sale in the store. Uh, it's a, it's a Halloween store that's open all year. So you, if you need your fix in December, you can go there. Um, and this is the sixth one. And this year had the things you can expect, uh, from them. Uh, like they've had in years past, you have, uh, vendors selling art. Um, the, like Midsummer Scream was there selling discounted tickets. Scarlet was there selling discount tickets. Uh, you had a sideshow acts. Uh, you had bands. Um, one thing I didn't see this year was a lot of, say, escape rooms like we saw in the past. Um, you know, a lot of times there were little booths or, or like mobile escape room was there. You could play an escape room. Um, those weren't represented this year. Uh, and it was kind of odd. Yeah, I thought that was odd, too, in the fact that they chose not to show up this year for Spook Show. Uh, it felt more uh, art, craft, uh, and and believe me, it's like there's wonderful art on sale. It's the... It, it is... It represents a wide range of talent, everything from artists creating literally artwork you can hang on your wall from paintings and drawings and photographs to taxidermy to jewelry to clothing... Uh, to <laughs> sculpture and figurines. Uh, there, there's, there's so much to choose from here. And that seemed to be the emphasis this year rather than haunts or escape rooms or live events. It seemed to be all about the, the merchandise this year. Yeah, and that was a bummer because last year uh, we left so excited and we like there was new stuff like that's where we talked to Larry Bones about Into the Black and we talked about the Fools Festival and there there was just so much newness last year and this year it it didn't seem to have anything new that stood out. Yeah, it did have the the people you would expect there and that's we're not saying that that's a disappointment obviously. You know, but we just wish there had been more variety, I think. And we ran into Larry Bones again this year, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Into the Black, he says, is coming back. So glad to hear that. Yeah, a spook show this year. And also, did you feel that it was the same size as last year? It felt a bit smaller. Yeah, I thought so, That's too. what she said. Uh, thank you. <laughs> and, and, oh, go go ahead. I was going to say, um, and also from years past, like this, this was a destination. Like Everybody had this on their calendars. We would run into someone every five steps that we right. knew um, from either haunts or immersive theater or escape rooms or, you know, just from the scene in general. And this year, it didn't have that. We saw maybe two people. Yeah, we did not run into a lot of familiar faces this year. I guess we need to find more friends <laughs> because the ones we have now weren't there. I still, like this is, uh, and we didn't cover this at the beginning, uh, Mike, you didn't say this. This is a yearly event that takes place in, well, I guess early spring. And uh, it is definitely worth putting on your calendar if you're anywhere in the Southern California area, because it is a chance to see a large amount of vendors in one place, larger than any other event of this kind. So that's the reason to go to this. And it did succeed in that level. But yeah, there seemed to be a little less variety this year. And also, again, there was some wonderful cosplay and makeup work being done at some of the booths. 
Uh, definitely another fun aspect about this day is all day long you'll be encountering live horror characters running around. Lots of photo opportunities with that. Would you call it a selfie palace, Russell? No, I would not call it a selfie palace. Okay. Because it was outdoors and palace kind of indicates building. <laughs> you can find out more information about Spook Show. I saw um, that eye roll. <laughs> next year, uh, go to HalloweenClub.com. Um, next year will be Spook Show lucky number seven. Now, speaking of places where lots of people gather, uh, you were not able to go to Monster Palooza this year, but I was able to go uh, and... You think you're better than me? Uh, no. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so, no, it's not that. Monster Palooza was held in Pasadena this year, uh, which is a good venue for it because they have more room to expand. It used to be at hotels, and, and they always had space problems and crowded problems. Uh, I, I went there actually twice over the weekend. Uh, I heard Saturday was packed. I was there Friday night and on Sunday and there was lots of stuff to do and see. Now, Monster Palooza is a little bit different from other events. Uh, they cater and they emphasize fine art, makeup, effects, sculpture, and all of those were represented. Monster Palooza. I said this to before we uh, recorded because we were talking about what what we were uh, what we had and hadn't done. Mike, the eye candy this year, makeup wise, as always, but it's stunning. Just absolutely stunning live makeup demonstrations. They have top names in the effects and makeup industry at this event each year. Uh, the highlight for me is their museum. They have just incredible sculptures and presentations. The highlight for me this year was uh, they had recreations of scenes from The Exorcist and scenes from Suspiria um, that you know, they they looked amazing. You know, it 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 gives a chance for sculptors and artists to showcase their work in a very very beautiful atmosphere. And then you go to the show floor and you see. Everything from instructional DVDs, instructional manuals on how to, you know, start your own career, to do this yourself if you want to experiment and play in your garage someday with makeup yourself. It's like this is a very open community and a wonderful event to encourage that aspect of it. Now, for me personally, I'm not a collector of fine art or sculptures or anything like that, uh, but... I love going to this event because of all the uh, all of the stuff on display. It's very exciting for me to see beautiful, beautiful pieces on display and for sale. There's also other things going on. There is furniture for sale. There is uh, <laughs> there's DVDs and Blu-rays and and things like that. Uh, there's there's booths for lots of different types of vendors and. One of the things that I picked up, Mike, for myself this year, because, and and I and I th this is leading somewhere, uh, as some of my stories don't. Um, so some, <laughs> thank you. I picked up. Uh, you remember Tom Savini released two books uh, about makeup effects in the Friday the Thirteenth films and other films that he did during the early eighties. Yep, I believe one of them was originally called Bizarro. And they got put together in a joint volume called Grand Illusions eventually. Well, Mike, I know I have. <laughs> so, and no, this is not for you, by the way. 
<laughs> I didn't expect it to be. <laughs> you were looking greedily at my little plastic bag. But yeah, I picked up, I was able to pick up um, Grand Illusions, which is the combination of his, uh, his uh, original books one and two. And I, because I haven't really looked at these in years. And it's like the, just the, it was wonderful to find this. And the cool thing about this is I found this mic for less than cover price. Oh, wow. And I expected this to be, you know, like an out of print type price. Yeah. I expected it to be overpriced because it was a convention and all that. No, it's like I walked up and I looked at that and went, this is actually below cover price. This is an amazing deal. So I picked that up and I turned around and literally across the floor in the booth opposite of the booth where I bought this, Tom Savini was sitting there. <laughs> it was meant to be. <laughs> So I had this moment and, and I, you know, he was talking to some people and then suddenly the people walked away and he was sitting there by himself. And so I just, I, I, I had this nerd moment where I was able to walk up and I just said, excuse me, Mr. Savini, you know, can I have a word with you? And he's, he was absolutely, he's like, sure. And I said, I just want to tell you that I work as a film editor and horror is my favorite genre. And one of the reasons I'm in editing is because of the horror genre in the late seventies, early eighties. And you were such a part of that, that I can honestly say that your work had an influence on me and the films that you worked on had an influence on me. And it was just, well, this wonderful. And he said, Oh, wow. Thank you so much for coming over and saying that. I really appreciate it. I, I, I'm touched that, that somehow I affected you. And I was like, you absolutely did. It's like, you have entertained and scared the heck out of me so many times. And it was a wonderful moment, and it was just a great... It, it, it meant a lot for me to have that moment where I could thank someone like that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was really, really cool. Did you have him sign your book? Uh, no, because he was at a table where they were charging for signings, uh, okay. and, I, and I wasn't going to ask that. So, um, yeah, that, that, was, that made the whole weekend just for me. It was, it was, it was an awesome moment, Mike. Um, yeah, it was great. So, cause he certainly has had an influence on me. I've watched, I watched him kill so many people. So including himself <laughs> on screen. Well, I mean, so. he didn't really kill people. He just did the makeup for it. So how do we know? <laughs> hmm. Let's get technical. So, all right. Uh, and by the way, uh, Mike, I, when I was at monster Palooza, I did, I made a joke about not giving you this because this is for me. Uh, I did pick you up a little something while I was <sighs> at Monster Palooza. Come on, man. So, you know that I like movie trailers. You do? Yeah. You like movies? I like movies, too. So, but like, I... Uh, now, are they the trailers in the movie? No, or, no, 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 like, no, no. kind of like The Strangers, <laughs> or... You're making this difficult. Yep. Previews, trailers, coming attractions. So what I, I was uh, talking to, like, like I said, there were numerous booths of people selling DVDs. And um, Vinegar Syndrome is a label that specializes in offbeat, off-the-wall, uh, just they are putting out stuff nobody else will. Um, they get their hands and stuff. They do really nice transfers. They do really nice releases. Uh, it's, uh, it's a good company to know about if you're a collector of DVDs and, and also if you are looking for weird avant-garde horror, surreal fantasy exploitation, uh, 
all of those categories they they have dabbled in so vinegar syndrome is a really good company to know about and i bought you their they're actually uh their catalog of film from spring of last year so this is a dvd of trailers and uh look at the running time on that holy crap it's 520 minutes yeah hours of trailers Jeez. Literally hours and hours of trailers. And it's weird, weird stuff from, you know, like they go back into the early 70s and, and, and you know, like they, they cover, it, it's their catalog of stuff that they've released and had a hand in getting out to the public again. They found so many lost gems. And also while I was there, uh, Severin is another company that was there they are also a good company to know about blue underground is a company i i think a lot of people know shout factory and scream factory but these are other companies that if you're a horror fan and you're looking for something obscure or you're looking for something foreign like go to these places as well um you know recently i attended a screening of something from unearthed and that's another company and they deal with more kind of a grindhouse vibe picture uh, stuff on their label, but that's another company. So uh, it was nice to go to Monster Palooza and see all of these things. I'm not a huge collector of media, but if you're a horror fan, and I know we have horror fans listening to this podcast, and you are looking for obscure companies uh, that handle stuff that you can't get through Netflix and you cannot get through Amazon. That's when you call me. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> actually I do. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's, it's a good thing to know about, but dude, that's the seven, eight hours worth yeah. of trailers, right? Thank there. you. It's eight hours and 40 minutes. Yep. <laughs> and trust me, I was doing bills one night and I popped that DVD in and I didn't get my bills done because I kept getting distracted. <laughs> like, oh my God, what is this? <laughs> yeah. There's some weird stuff on that. So awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you very yeah, much. Absolutely. So good. I also, uh, I know we have a mutual friend. We do? Yes, we do. So one or two uh, that does this at parties, puts on movie trailers at parties. And, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> this would be perfect for that. Your Halloween party is taken care of. Do you really think I'm going to be playing trailers at a Halloween party if I was having a Halloween party? That's true. Based on the movies you've seen at my house? <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> so uh, if you'd like to learn more about Monster Palooza, uh, monsterpalooza.com. And if you go to their website right now, they have already got information coming up and posting for Son of Monster Palooza, which takes place later in the year. On Facebook, look up Monster Palooza. And on Instagram, Monster Palooza Official, all one word. And on Twitter, it's Monster Palooza, followed by the number one. And Mike, you were not able to make it to Monster Palooza. Well, you did something that I was unable to make it to. Yes. And, and I want to hear about this, and we have not had a chance to talk because of my travels and your travels. Yeah, and it's it's it was incredible. Um, I was... A, so, okay, let me back up a minute. <laughs> if you've gone to Queen Mary and you've gone to Dark Harbor, you may know of a maze called B340. Um, which shout out to Brad because that's he's like the main monster in it. Um, but they got that name from an actual room on the Queen Mary because you know it's a hotel, you can stay there. Um, room B340 is one of the most haunted, if not the most haunted room on the Queen Mary. And they actually shut it down years ago and it hasn't been available for anybody to stay in 
because of everything that's happened in the past. Um, I think it's been like 30 years or something since they shut it down. They actually reopened it and you are able to book that room to stay in as a hotel guest now. And I went to an event that was that was basically the grand opening of that room, like celebrating the opening of it. And we were treated to a ghost tour. Um, you know, we went on on the ghost tour for my birthday a couple of years ago mm-hmm. with, um, you know, the, the investigation tour. Um, so he took it was, you know, a very, very shortened version. Um, what we he took us around the ship, kind of the same places we went to um, very briefly. And we did some EVPs and stuff like that. Um, but some of the coolest things that happened, we actually got to go into room B340. Uh, and the Commodore of the ship told stories. Oh, wow. And it was so freaking cool. We go into the room and the room is decorated with pictures of haunt sightings of ghosts on the ship. So on one wall, there's, you know, an an apparition in the pool area that there's a picture of. So Mm -hmm. they definitely hyped this up and decorated it as such. Like you walk in, I believe there's a, I think they said that that, that, that's staying there, but there's a Ouija board and a crystal ball and stuff like that. So if you're booking this room, chances are it's because of those reasons. So it makes sense to have all of those things. And some interesting things happened, um, I'm never going to say like, oh, I'm sensitive. I can feel things because I never really have been able to. Um, There are times when we go to haunted places where things happen to me, um, but I wouldn't say I'm sensitive to it like other people are. When I walked into this room, I started getting a headache and I have been eating really crappy lately. Uh, (laughs) So I figured it was due to like lack of hydration because I didn't drink a lot of water that day. Didn't really think anything of it. And so when we left, um, there were three different groups. um, And when each group went in um, like a group at a time and we, we rotated. So while one group was on the tour, the other group was in in the room, you know, and we kept switching out. When we left the room, we went back to kind of like a common area where all the groups were. And I saw uh, Shannon from Nightmarish Conjuring. She was there and she had mentioned how she had gotten a headache as well. And I was like, wait a minute, did you get a headache in that room? She's like, yeah, but it's gone now. I'm like, wait a minute, I got a headache in that room as well. Hmm. And then two other people from uh, like from my group and like some of the other groups were wait a minute, you guys had headaches? Like we got headaches in that room too and they're gone now. So a bunch of people that didn't like, you know, that weren't like talking about it, like, oh my God, it's haunted because I got a headache. Like nothing like that. It was just, yeah, it was weird. Like I got a headache, like not connecting it to anything paranormal. Right. The fact that we all got it and had the same thing happen, it just kind of like was like, what the hell, you know? And then- when the Commodore was talking, he said he gets vertigo whenever he goes into that room. Hmm. So it's, there's weird stuff in that room. And I am going to try to book it one day to I, stay in. I would be interested in that. <laughs> You're sleeping on the couch. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's a beautiful room. And, um, you know, I, I think I haven't read reviews. I know on Reddit there was a woman that, that was staying there. Uh, but I need to follow up and see if anything happened to her or just see if I can find any information about hauntings since they opened it back up. Um, it is a bit more pricey than the other rooms for obvious reasons. Um, but I think it will be worth it because this is, it's kind of one of those things that, 
you know, like, when are you ever going to be able to do this in such a high profile place? Fascinating. Um, the, uh, I've been in other Queen Mary hotel rooms. Uh, they're relatively small. I mean, is this one similar to that? Um, it's towards the, I think it's towards the, the bow of the ship. Or the stern. Wait, which is the front? I'm not sure. Okay, it's towards the front of the ship, I think. <laughs> um, and it's it it's it is bigger than the rooms we've seen. Oh, okay. Um, it, it's almost like you walk in. It's almost like a T that has the short stand. So it's like boom, boom, like okay. that. Um, from what I remember, I believe there was also a couch in there and a, like, you know, the TV kind of thing and then a, a bigger bed. But yeah, it, it's, 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 I mean, it's, it's history, right? you know, and it like, you know, there's so much that can't be explained in life. And the fact that this room was closed off because of so many unexplained things that happened mm-hmm. should be very telling. It's a fascinating story, and and yeah, I I've never had the opportunity to spend a night in a place like that yet, so that would be interesting. Yeah, so if you're interested in going to B three forty, I promise Brad will not be under the bed waiting for you. Although that would be awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, go Brad, to, our monster friend. Yeah, go to uh, queenmary.com and. Uh, you may actually have to call be- because it's such a specific request, but I do believe it's on the website. I think I remember seeing it. Um, but yeah, if you if you're up for it and you don't run out of the room screaming, then <laughs> good for you, and it'll be fun. And let us know if you actually go and do this because uh, we'd love to talk to you about it. And, and go ahead. There was a show that you saw that um, I was supposed to see, but mm-hmm. then you were gone. Mm-hmm. And I had to leave as well. Yes. <laughs> um, but you came back and were able to see it. Yeah, it was still running when I got back in town. So uh, I did grab a ticket. And it was from a company called Ceaseless Fun, who you might remember from the show we did about a year ago, I believe now, around the same time, I think, the Why Do I Want to Fuck Ronald Reagan show, mm-hmm. and which we both enjoyed. I think you enjoyed more than I did. Uh, but I did I did like a lot of individual scenes in that show. Very experimental, very odd structure to that show. And then I saw another show that they did called Agnosia. Yeah, from the last podcast. Yes, which was a fascinating, beautiful, really intimate, lovely, immersive theater piece uh, about a relationship and loss. And their new show has been called They Who Saw the Deep. And it is a kind of twisted reflection on one of the oldest pieces of literature known to man called uh, The Tale of Gilgamesh. Uh, That's how I encountered originally in school. But you... (laughs) I'm going to have problems describing this one. It is not an interpretation of that piece of literature. Uh, The story of Gilgamesh, which is introduced at the very beginning of the show, this is a completely immersive theater piece. It took place in a very fascinating space in Koreatown in Los Angeles. I have no idea what purpose this space served in its prior life. It might have been office spaces, but the layout was truly bizarre. And Ceaseless Fun made the most of it. Uh, It became a show where you could weave intricately through room to room following characters. 
Uh, there was a lot about the show that I enjoyed, and there was some stuff about the show which I thought didn't quite land as well. Mike, this is a company that is not afraid to explore open world. And Good, because we need more of that. For for the people who, who are not familiar with that term, the term open world refers to an immersive piece uh, that basically the patron, the audience member, has permission and control over what they see during the course of the show. And we were given instructions at the beginning of the show uh, that we were not supposed to speak during the show. And we, the one instruction was, if a door is closed, don't open it. And if a door is open, don't close it. So what that lent itself to, and I believe later I read that there were over 30 rooms in the show. Oh, wow. So uh, in the beginning, you got a very, very quick rundown of the story of Gilgamesh, which is about a ruler uh, and the gods created sort of an adversary that became a friend and uh, their adventures. Gilgamesh is someone who is in search for immortality. He wants to live forever and uh, he doesn't attain that goal. But what he realizes is that your immortality comes from what you leave behind. In his case, he built a miraculous, beautiful city that would stand for a very long time. So that was his legacy. That was his immortality was that of what he created would affect others for a very long time. That sort of theme of what we create and leave behind is very, very present in this show in many of the scenes. So... What happens in the show, early on I encountered several characters that were obsessed with fame or with their own persona or image. One of them specifically idolized a ruler, uh, and it was very clear very quickly that he sort of was trying to become like that person that he idolized. So there was a lot of touching on the subject of fame and who we are and how others see us. At the first part of the show, it really was, we wandered around uh, the first floor of this building and they had done uh, really interesting lighting and uh, production design using lots of plastic actually wrapped around columns and pillars and dangling and, and lights hidden among that, um, among that. And as you follow the characters, I found fascinating early on, I encountered a young man that, that, like I said, was idolizing someone. And every time I checked in on him and saw him, he was always expressing disappointment in himself or confusion as to how to become like the leader he wanted to be. Uh, it was a really interesting one sequence involved. Uh, there was a couple embracing and he did this very odd physical thing where he was trying to imitate the embrace, but he was all alone. So it became this very sad thing to watch unfold because you realized he was alone and he didn't have anyone to embrace. So I'm touching, I'm going to touch on moments like that because this show was, was a, a, an exploration and if you're looking for a clean-cut narrative, if you're looking for uh, a beginning, middle, and end storyline, this is not the type of work for you, I think. And the open-world concept of you wandering wherever you want to go uh, lends itself to you can miss a lot or you could see a lot. 
And I ended up following one character in particular who told the story of being accused of a crime and he unfolds the entire criminal system process that he went through. And there was a wonderful vision of as he was going through the process, he became more and more weighted down with books and texts. And every time a new process in his story unfolded, he opened another door and we went into another room. And those doors remained open. And as the show progressed, other people, other audience members could wander and follow us or check in on us and then move on to other characters. So it became a fascinating world to explore. Now, this particular sequence was upstairs. We were led upstairs at one point, and that's where most of the exploration took place. I encountered another area where a man was singing to several of us as audience members and were talking about what we were expecting from ourselves and from others and what we might have learned from our journeys. So it was a very reflective show, I felt. and But it was not heavy-handed. It wasn't a show that hammered its theme because you only caught the theme, I felt, in glimpses where you encountered a character and you heard a little bit and, and you could stay in the room or you could leave. And, you know, I... One scene in particular was a woman looking in a mirror and talking about her power and what power she had and what power she didn't have as a writer, as a creator, as a creative person. And I thought that was fascinating. And it reflected another sequence. <laughs> wow, reflected mirror. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Even I didn't see that one coming. Uh, earlier I mentioned the young man. I saw a sequence where he was looking in a mirror and questioning what he saw in it. So there is a lot of pondering and reflection in this show, and you catch glimpses of of multiple things. People who have overcome obstacles only to find out that what they got was not what they thought they were going to get or what they wanted. Or it was people filled with some incredible sadness over what they didn't have or lost. So it, it was it was a fascinating series of smaller sequences for me. Again, overall, it's if you're looking for a straightforward play, if you're looking for a straightforward arc, this is not the show for you. This is not the kind of work for you, I think. And I'm still wrestling with how much I enjoy open world. Uh, not long ago, we talked on the podcast about Sleep No More. And I have mixed feelings about that show even. And, I, and that's considered, you know, like like sort of like the holy measure of, of open world type stuff. I will say this about Ceaseless Fun. They are very good at intimate, impactful, hard-hitting emotional moments. And that kept happening to me during this show is I would be watching a sequence and then there'd just be some really nice emotional moment or realization on the part of the character. And since you're doing this as an open world, you're wandering and you might be the only other person in the room with that actor, or there might be one other person, you know, two other people in that room with that actor. So those moments kept landing and landing really nicely and again, they did a really wonderful job with the space of creating interesting things to explore, interesting, interesting things to see. So again, 
this is a company that I'm really curious to see where they're going because this is fascinating work. I don't think this is for everyone. To be totally honest, the first act of this I thought was very slow and took too long. And I think the show could have been shorter overall. Doesn't take away the fact that I had some wonderful moments in that first act. So more power to Ceaseless Fun. I I am really curious about what else they explore. And also they are a company that seems to be exploring a lot of really heavy themes, which, uh, you know, they've, they've touched on grief. They've touched on loss. They've touched on death. You know, that's, that's been stuff that they have dealt with in, in previous shows. Uh, the Ronald Reagan show last year touched on a lot of those things. And, but I walked away from the Ronald Reagan show and I walked away from this show with the same idea that, wow, like I'm so happy I witnessed that moment. So I, I think it's up to the patron to determine whether this kind of work, a series of moments is enough or if they need more story. For me, in this particular show, I would have liked a little bit more story, but there's some really wonderful moments to this show. So I guess I would say that was kind of a mixed reaction to it. <laughs> a long way of saying that. <laughs> I talk. That's what I do. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I'm really curious to see what comes next from Ceaseless Fun. If you'd like more information about Ceaseless Fun, look them up on CeaselessFun.com. On Facebook, look up Ceaseless Fun. And on Instagram, check out Ceaseless underscore fun. One thing, Mike, that they seem to be doing on Instagram is, you know how you have the short stories that pop up, the videos that pop up on Instagram? Yes. They were having characters do those on Instagram. Oh, that's cool. As part of the show. That's a cool way to do it. So there were a couple of nights where I, I couldn't figure it out at first because I, I tuned into one of those videos like, wait a minute, don't they have a show going on? And, and it was a character <laughs> talking, uh, you know, and it was like, oh, my gosh, this must be from inside the show. This is really cool. So, yeah, Seasons Fun is a fun company to be looking at. Uh, and I'm really curious to see where they go. And after that, Mike, uh, you were out of town. So I continued my theater journey from show to show. Uh, rogue artists who uh, last year did the Caden project. Okay, which was uh, I, you didn't make it to because I don't think you ever could figure mm-hmm. out the schedule. Um, the uh, the walls within, I believe, was the subtitle of that project. It was sort of a haunt immersive theater piece based on Japanese mythology and folklore. Yeah, which really enjoyed lots of puppetry, lots of really cool visuals. Uh, several years ago, they did a play called Wood Boy Dogfish. And they started a uh, crowdfunding campaign because they wanted to bring that show back and they wanted to bring it bigger and better than they had done it before. It got very good reviews last time it was around. And they are now running it at the Gary Marshall Theater in Burbank. And again, the title is Wood Boy Dogfish. And it is sort of the story of Pinocchio. But I want to say this is not a kid's show. There is adult language and very adult themes explored in this version of the tale. Not a kid's show. No, (laughs) that I've said that. Uh, I highly recommend getting there an hour early before your showtime because they have decorated the lobby with lots of little Easter eggy type things about the show. The show is uh, obviously because if you know the story of Pinocchio... It lends itself to sort of a circus sideshow sort of theme. And the lobby is decorated with 
Uh, they have kind of the entrance of a dark ride set up. They have uh, books that have been created by a character, perhaps, in the show. They have lots of posters and pictures and uh, the history of the sighting of the dogfish, uh, various other things. The show itself, uh, I don't want to give too many spoilers away because uh, it is still running, but Dogfish is sort of the tale of a dark ride, and the dark ride is the story of Pinocchio, where you end up going into the belly of the whale. That's, And I'm being really loose with this interpretation. Now, the thing about this company and about this production of Woodboy Dogfish, the inventive techniques on display here are amazing. This show, I should also say I saw a preview of it, so it was a bit long when I saw it. I, I am positive the pace is going to pick up because that actually hurt the show a little bit for me in the second act. But such inventive techniques, puppetry, really unique creative use in the third act of a technique I don't want to give away because it's so cool. However, it's a technique which you and I have encountered inside haunts multiple times, and we both have liked it and enjoyed it, and they incorporate it into the final act of the show so the audience really gets pulled into the action visually. It's a wonderful trick, and I thought they utilized it very well to tell the tale of the last part of uh, Wood Boy's journey. I will also say that they never name the character in the play. It's always Wood Boy. The puppet of Wood Boy is wonderful. It's this beautiful, beautiful. If you go on their website, you can see pictures of it. It's it's a beautiful piece of art. It, there's so much puppetry, some dance. Uh, this is a really hard show to define other than it's a fantasy world. They create a fantasy journey. And because Pinocchio technically, if you get down to it, is a very dark story of something being given life, but it doesn't know what to do with it because it's not a living being. They touch on all of that. They touch on the fact that he did come from a living creature, but he's not alive like humans. So the disconnect, the ostracizing, the bullying, the ridicule, the sadness, the happiness when he learns more about humans, all of that is present in the show throughout the show. Also, uh, the second act takes on, if you recall the story of Pinocchio, takes on some really horrifying turns. And I will say, Mike, there was one sequence in the show where I just thought, this is horrifying that I'm watching this. And, And it's the story of a friend losing a friend. And it was so sad and so playfully done with visuals involving items associated with children. And that's all I want to say. Hmm. And but but the the characters bring forth this immense loss and this really, really disturbing moment where you hear literal screams that represent the loss of the friend. It's it's I I I thought it was an absolutely chilling and wonderful moment at the same time. And again, it's so much creativity, so much interesting stuff going on. But again, not for children. This is for adults. Um, I I do have some problems with the structure of the show. Most of the characters that you get introduced to in the first act 
disappear for the majority of the second act, including Geppetto, uh, who plays a major part in the climax of the show. Um, so, so there's, there's some technical stuff that, that bumped me a little bit, but again, I have to say, I saw a preview, I think increasing the pace of the show, which I'm sure will come naturally will correct a lot of what I was feeling because the second act, uh, when you get into the, uh, goofy sideshow carnival circus fun stuff, when Pinocchio is out on his own or Woodboy is out on his own, uh, that stuff could have been played much faster. And I think it will be more effective because all of the wackiness and all of the surreal plays better if, if it's played quicker, in my opinion, or would be played quicker. So I think all of that will be fixed. And like I said, I saw a preview performance of this before it actually opened. Um, I recommend this to people who are interested in really cool, creative stuff. The show itself is not immersive. The immersive part is only the pre-show where you get to explore the lobby and how they've decorated it. And there might be a few games to play, so I recommend you play them. So when you get into the actual show, it's a proscenium show. You sit down in the theater and you watch it unfold. Um, And wonderful mask work, wonderful puppetry, Lighting, some of the props, what they build some of the puppets with are so cool and so interesting. This was a weird, weird treat, and I mean that as a high compliment. If you'd like to learn more about Rogue Artists as a company, look up rogueartist.org or go to Facebook, Rogue Artists, all one word, on Instagram, Rogue underscore artists, and on Twitter, Rogue underscore artists. This is a company that I've seen two things with. I I think their stuff is fascinating. Um, their use of puppetry and imagery to sell bigger ideas and concepts is is fascinating. Uh, so yeah, that's this definitely I recommend. Not for children. So bring your children. <laughs> And another company that uh, we have visited before, uh, Mike, I saw a couple of things from Force of Nature Productions, who are the people who do Fallen Saints. Excellent. Sebastian and his crew. Yes, absolutely. I saw a play called The Bereaved, and I also saw what they do, what they call rush shows, which is where they do sort of a lottery system, and in three weeks, uh, they gather a group of artists, give them a theme or a topic. Uh, through literally, I believe it's like a roll of a dice or a lottery. Uh, they are given a couple of props that they have to use in their scenes and they create short plays. And the theme that I saw was the seven deadly sins. The show was called seven. And that was definitely a dark night of the soul (laughs) because man, they went dark. That was so much horror stuff, but very, very entertaining. The first thing I saw though was the bereaved, which was another funeral show. You attended a funeral. It was a mildly interactive, immersive piece. The moment you walked in, you were greeted as if you were going to a funeral. And I it, I have to admit, I, I kind of was used when I first walked in. <laughs> One okay. of the characters recognized me and rushed up to me and was so glad that I could make it to pay my respects to the dearly departed. And Mike hugged me and cried on my shoulder for what must have been two or three minutes straight. Wow. Nonstop. 
<laughs> it was so awkward. And but it was awesome because, you know, other people were walking in and so they immediately saw this person just breaking down and wailing and crying, you know, and I was trying to comfort them and they wouldn't let me out of the hug. <laughs> it was very awkward. But it was also wonderful and it completely set the mood in the lobby of like, oh my God, we're here to pay respect to someone who meant some who meant a lot to some people. So the show itself was, oddly enough, almost a farce. Wacky, over-the-top accents, weird, humorous double takes. It was a funeral that went way wrong. And I thoroughly enjoyed the production, and I really enjoy Force of Nature's... Uh, their take on comedy is usually big and broad, and I really enjoy it. I enjoyed The Bereaved. Uh, Seven, which was their recent Rush show, like I said, was a very different tone. That was very, very dark. And I recommend checking out Force of Nature's website for the next time they do a Rush show. We've talked about Rush shows in the past where they've done the same thing, except that was a comedy night. Uh, and I think they were using 80s song lyrics, if I remember correctly, for that one, that the, the last one we talked about in the podcast. The Seven Deadly Sins one was so incredibly dark, and I commend them for really touching on some taboo subjects. Ooh, like what? They touched on some religious stuff, which I thought was really interesting. They did one about... Um, Lust, which might be felt by people in confession or in a place of, you know, holding a position in the church. Uh, Sounds like a bit of Blood Alley <laughs> leaking in over there. <laughs> there, there was another one involving uh, a double cross of a coworker. That uh, so, like I said, envy, greed, lust. Yeah, your gluttony, your seven deadly sins were definitely represented. Uh, most of it dark. Some There was some comedy, definitely. Yeah, but for the most part, I was surprised at how dark these themes went. Really interesting sequence involving... Wait, you were surprised at how dark something about the dead, <laughs> Seven Deadly Sins got? Well, because of... Really? Force of Nature, yeah, because of Force of, Nature, Force of Nature Productions, most of their stuff is a little lighter. Even though Fallen Saints, certainly their, their Halloween offerings have been very dark. Uh, yeah, I was... Uh, yeah. There's that shaking my head sound effect. I know. So, but no, the uh, they did uh, characters inside the brain of a comatose killer, which was really interesting. Hmm. Uh, There's a little cult aspect thrown into one of them. The like I said, the religious one at the end for me hit pushed a lot of buttons about like what how you use religion to justify anything if you want to. Uh, yeah, there, it was a very interesting. A pop-up. And because these rush shows are so fast and up on their feet after only a few rehearsals, uh, it's a little rough around the edges. They had some lighting problems here and there. Uh, the performance, the, you know, obviously you could tell that one character dropped a couple of lines, but they, they covered it really well. And But it, it's a little rough around the edges. But if you like experiments, if you like something new... That's the thing that turns me on about this. And that, I, I've said that about a couple of different companies. I've said that about two shows already where these companies that are willing to experiment and do something different, that's what I'm more interested in right now. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about Force of Nature Productions, look up fonproductions.com. On Facebook, fonprods. And on Instagram, fonprods. And on Twitter, fonprods. 
and they have definitely more shows coming up and uh they're they're an interesting company to watch and we are looking forward to what they offer during the halloween season after their last couple of years of fallen saints shows and this past weekend you went to a show uh, unfortunately i couldn't make it because i was still out of town but i did go to the month prior um this is something we've talked about on the last couple of podcasts and even interviewed the guys but uh the new bad boys of magics and their dirty tricks variety show yeah <laughs> Um, the last one you went to was a blast. Uh, the one from th- this past month, uh, uh, I guess it's been a week now. I think one of their strongest lineups so far. Um, uh, Dan and Eric, uh, the bad boys of magic, have created a variety show called Dirty Tricks. It runs once a month for, or has been running once a month. They usually have three to four acts. It is literally just a variety hour, and it is usually magic-themed. I saw a wonderful, wonderful juggler there that was hysterically funny. Um, Was that the one I was at? Yeah. Ended on the ball? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was great. (laughs) So these guys are getting top, top acts at this variety hour, and the tickets are $10. Five if you follow them on Instagram. Yeah. if If you can get promo codes, it will reduce that to five. Like, this is got to be one of the most ridiculously underpriced shows in town. And I'm saying that because I would pay double for it. $10. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the price of the ticket. (laughs) Which is the price of the ticket. So, Dan and Eric, the Bad Boys of Magic, uh, we highly encourage you. Check them out. Follow them. Uh, They're doing variety shows around town. They show up on other venues. And uh, we have really enjoyed seeing the Dirty Tricks variety show, you know, month after month this year. And it's become a destination. Um, And what I say is, like, I was in a a point um, in my life where I stopped looking forward to things, obviously, because you have been carrying this podcast by saying all the things you've done and not me. (laughs) Um, But this has been something that I've been looking forward to. I look forward to every month and Mm -hmm. just because it's so fun and it's like everybody's there for the same reason. There's no like, you know, because there's there's no politics on on who's there or who, you know, who's on the list or anything like that. It's like it's just fun. It's like how shows used to be. And it's it's just such a good and fun time. It's a I just positive need to say that. vibe. Yeah, that's it. Because because that's the thing too. Like, you know, you we joked about the ticket price, but it's like you know when we interviewed them, you know, they I think they said like we would do this for free. It's about you know? the magic. Like it's, it's about, about yeah. having fun and doing something that you love, and that's that shines through them, and it shines through everyone that they have there because they're all there just to like have fun, you know? And that, that's like the most important thing. And, and one thing I will, I will point to one act in particular, uh, that I don't believe you were at the show. I, I, yeah, it was one of the ones that you were out of town. Um, the, uh, the act had gotten rejected for a show that day. Like he thought he had booked a gig and it ended up that they replaced him with a reptile show. And he incorporated that into his act and it turned into one of the funniest jokes of the evening because he was being honest about, and I, and I don't think you could do that in other venues. It was this, it was the openness and the positivity of the vibe of this room of we're all here to have a freaking good time. And 
he was like, you're not going to believe how crazy my life is. And then he just started talking about that. And then he pulled out his phone and he actually had an audience member read the text and read the cancellation. <laughs> it was, and it was just, but, and, 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 and I'm not taking pleasure in that person's, you know, misfortune because he booked something else. So, but what I'm saying is this, this show lends itself to being a good time of lots of really fun, friendly people coming together. And it, it really does have that, Hey, let's put on a show vibe. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in the best possible way. I, I think, uh, the bad boys of magic have created something special and I wish them luck in the future. And I hope this grows into something else. Yeah. And it happens monthly except for June because you want, no, I think you want to to. go for it. (laughs) So the, so this show happens monthly. It's called dirty tricks and it's at the three clubs, um, at the corner of Santa Monica and vine. Uh, however, June, uh, June is fringe festival in that area and they will not have a dirty tricks show, but they will have a full show of their own routine and it's called Coke and mirrors because of course it is. Um, and it's going to be probably an hour of them doing a new show. If you saw their show last year at fringe, uh, you know, that's where we fell in love with them and started following them because they were, they were, they were one of the highlights of fringe last year for us. Um, I have no doubt that this show is going to be another highlight. Um, so if you haven't seen them, Definitely check out Coke and Mirrors at the Fringe Fest. And I hope um, they deliver the title. <laughs> I hope I can get a Coke there, and I hope there's mirrors. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> I mean, last year they handed out shots of whatever that alcohol was. Yes, so true. <laughs> chances are maybe they'll have Coke for you. So, okay. You realize it's not that Coke, right? What? Yeah, I thought so. Uh, anyways, but yeah, uh, go to hollywoodfringe.org and look for Coke and Mirrors and go see their show. Um, and then Dirty Tricks, hopefully, fingers crossed, will return in July after uh, their Fringe show. Yes. And for more information on the new Bad Boys of Magic, go to badboysmagic.com on Facebook, New Bad Boys of Magic, and on Instagram, Bad Boys Magic. So, Mike, while you were out of town, I also had the chance to go back to one of our favorite places we've mentioned before, Zombie Joe's Underground Theater. Uh, I've seen a couple of different shows there, and uh, the main one that I want to talk about is uh, they're doing another version of Urban Death. Now, we've talked about Zombie Joe's several times in the past on this podcast. They've done other shows, such as Blood Alley. Um, they also have other shows running almost like a repertoire company all year round. Uh, they, it, it's, they're very prolific. They're very ambitious. They're very experimental. Urban Death is sort of their mothership. Uh, it is a horror-themed show filled with moments, vignettes, imagery, usually horror-related uh, sometimes it's just plain disturbing stuff, uh, which I don't know if that always qualifies as horror, but <laughs> they explore a lot of territory. And this new version of Urban Death is important because they are trying new material. They're trying to uh, experiment and come up with stuff because their intention is to go to the world-famous Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland. And they have set up a GoFundMe campaign which has almost reached its goal as of the recording of this podcast. And Mike, I am super excited at the idea that 
other places get to see this particular show. Yeah, you never realize how spoiled we are when you until you like think about other places like, oh, wait, they do not get to see this stuff. Yeah. And, and, and this particular show, Urban Death, is a show that has been going on for years in various forms. Mike, you and I discovered it probably, what, 10 years ago? Yeah. And uh, they, they bring it back in various forms. Sometimes they re- repeat material. Sometimes they don't. But the, this current show, uh, I must admit, is one of the more disturbing for me. Because it deals a lot with um, human relationship stuff. There's there's a lot of that in the show. There's a lot of wacky stuff in the show as well, as usual. There's a lot of really disturbing imagery. uh, Some of it involving uh, bodily processes, which I will not get into. There's four or five pieces, actually, that that involve that. Uh, But... It's always worth seeing Urban Death. This is the first time I've walked away from an Urban Death show feeling almost like one of their other shows, Blood Alley, which is sometimes a a more graphic, more sexual, more dark vibe. Wow, so they're pushing it in this? this, Yeah, this Urban Death is pushing it, definitely. So uh, I I commend them on that. I think it's interesting. Uh, They also did... Uh, one sequence in particular that I, I don't want to spoil because the show is still running, but uh, one sequence in particular that I absolutely freaking love involving creatures from another world, which I thought was hysterical and fun and, and so well staged. And I, I would like to encourage, you know, people who support theater, people who support experimental theater to go to the GoFundMe page for urban death and, if you have just a dollar or two, every little bit helps, I'm sure. Uh, and this is a theater company which I think deserves to expand beyond Los Angeles. This is a company that's that is taking risks and doing experimental stuff. And I will be totally honest. Sometimes I think they fail. Most of the time I think they succeed. And that's what has earned them, I think, the support that they deserve in the theater community of Los Angeles. And it always amazes me when I talk to people who are there for the first time, because it's a mind blowing experience usually. And, uh, you know, even their regular shows, their non horror shows are usually quite experimental and quite out there and so much fun. So, I strongly encourage everyone to give Urban Death a try or other fair at the Zombie Joe's Underground Theater. And uh, please uh, check out their fundraising page for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. We wish them well on their journey. And I'm so excited to hear how the rest of the world reacts to this little gem of horror. (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) Weren't expecting that, were you? <laughs> Everything about that. So I, they touch my heart. Sometimes they rip it out. <laughs> so uh, the GoFundMe campaign, if you look up at GoFundMe.com slash Urban Death. Uh, for Zombie Joe's Underground Theater, look up ZombieJoes.com, ZJU Theater on Facebook, Zombie Joe's All One Word on Instagram, and the same on Twitter, Zombie Joe's All One Word. Good luck to all of them on their travels. You've got mail.
Does anyone even get that anymore? No, I don't think so. No. I mean, mail or that thing? <laughs> I still get mail. I like mail. What? I said you've got mail. <laughs> you have them over uh, there. Oh, the okay, okay. Uh, since our various travels happened, uh, we've gotten two boxes of Dread. And we've talked a little bit about, about Box of Dread. They have, they're kind of changing format. They're experimenting. They have curate, curated boxes now. Uh, so we've gotten two boxes. The first box uh, was a box sort of supporting Women in Horror Month. Uh, it was uh, curated by the actress Lauren Ashley Carter, uh, which was a really nice box. It had a Mad Max Funko, uh, one of the kick-ass characters from that. Uh, a box of Dread t-shirt, an Imitation Girl poster, uh, an, an interesting art print of the Saska sisters, who are best known. They've been on television with uh, their own horror reality show, or horror competition show, I should say, Elevator. They are film directors, uh, huge horror fans, and there's a artist named Daniela Botsheva, and they they did an art print of the Saska Sisters and autographed it. That's included in the box. Um, and something that I was really excited about, Mike, because this is one of those things where I know quite often you just ignore me and you don't listen to me. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Case in point, the mind's eye which is a movie directed by Joe Begos. Uh, I hope I pronounced that name right. Uh, and starring Graham Skipper. Who, Dr. Herbert West. Yes. So we run into Graham Skipper a lot on our travels. Uh, Lauren Ashley Carter, the actress who curated this box. Uh, star of stage and screen, Matt Mercer, also appears uh, in this film. This is one of those movies that I told you about after seeing it at Fantastic Fest. And I love this movie, and I was so happy to now own a copy of it because it is something that I'm going to go back and watch. Uh, it is a very fun, over-the-top, really ridiculously over-the-top, and I mean that as high praise, compliments. If you think of David Cronenberg's The Brood, this is sort of the story of the Institute, not the story of the kids. Hmm. So it's about an institute and their experimentation on psychic people and telekinetic people. And let's just say things go horribly wrong because it's a horror film and it's got tons of uh, effects and it's think scanners, think the brood, think, uh, think eighties horror. And it's got that vibe. And I think they've really captured something special with the mind's eye. And I was so happy to see this in, in this box. And hopefully now you will take my word and you will watch the damn thing because I've, I've, I've encouraged you to watch it in the past. Well, it's funny cause I'm looking it up right now to see if it's the same one, but, um, Matt Mercer is also the voice of McCree in overwatch. I don't uh, know if it's the same one. Different Matt Mercer. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not watching it. <laughs> uh, yes, there is a Matt Mercer voice actor and there is a Matt Mercer actor who starred in contracted and contracted Two. Uh, and they are not the same person, but, uh, yeah. And Matt was also in Madison County. So yeah, Matt has done a lot of horror, uh, in his film career. So yeah. And then the other box of dread that just came the other day. Yes. Uh, why don't you cover that one, Mike? Yeah. So the one that just came is, uh, is an interesting one because the curator is someone who sat at this table at one point. Um, and it's from Darren Lynn Bowsman. He curated this month's box of dread and, um, in it, there was the witch who came from the sea DVD, 
which I'm excited to watch. Yeah, that, and it's interesting because that's a, uh, I believe that's an Arrow video release, if I'm not mistaken. Let me look. Which is one of the, again, another company that specializes in really cool underground films, odd films that might have been lost to the, the you know, the the depths of time and it's like, it's a really, it's another one of those good companies to, to know about. And, uh, I, it's a film that I have heard about for years and I'm really curious to see it. It is through arrow or from arrow. Cool. Um, and also there's a Norman Bates Funko pop with him in the dress and wig. And there's a really cool Bates motel, uh, pin. It's a keychain pin. You can't put your keys on it. It's a pin of the keychain there. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Better. I was yeah. wondering. <laughs> and also a poster of St. Agatha. And it's signed by Darren as well. And that's the, the his new movie that just premiered at um, the Overlook Film Fest. Um, this was kind of a bum out because there's a double-edged sword uh, with this box. In There's a letter from him in the box. And it, it basically says like they were going to do a sort of lottery of he was cleaning out his storage unit and he found like storyboards and just random things from his past films and that you could be able to get those. And we, you know, there's probably only a couple, like it's maybe only like a few people that get them, but knowing that those are out there and that we didn't get them, it was, it's like, Oh, there could be so much cool stuff. Yeah. There was a little bit of a vibe of like, there was so much cool stuff that we sent in these and you didn't get any of it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Oh, but, but (laughs) God damn OSDM tampering with our mail. Yes. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, it's, it's a, it's a good box of dread. I'm excited for the, the movie. Um, and, uh, for more information on box of dread, go to box on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram box of dread. And basically that, that wraps things up except for one little thing that, um, that I did, that I, I didn't, I was unaware of, and you sent me a message and said, you know, would you do me a favor? Would you go check this out? Well, hold on. Like, first of all, the fact that you didn't know about this and I knew about it being in Massachusetts, <laughs> like your horror cred is going to be taken out. Um, no. But, but no. And the funny thing is, like, I my I said, like, you need, like, as like the favor, like you need to go to this. But I said that jokingly, it wasn't obviously like a favor to me go. Like it was a, I know you want to go, but if I say it's a favor that will push you the extra mile to, to want to go. So I actually didn't have to go to this. No, of course not. But I, but I know you would want to based on the pictures that I have of you from when you first saw it. I moved a ticket to attend this by the way. Yeah. And it wasn't it worth it. Wasn't it worth it? Ah, uh, it was. See, I it know was. what's best for you, Rosa. <laughs> That's why I said. You keep proving that, actually. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. What was the movie? Uh, there was a screening with a Q&A with the director and one of the stars of the uncut version of a Serbian film. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, Mike showed me a Serbian film, a very infamous, violent, dark film. But incredible. Uh, very well made, very well directed. Uh, it is very dark subject matter treated very interestingly. And this was an uncut version, so there was it was incredibly gory, incredibly graphic. And there was a Q&A with the director and the actress who plays Milos's wife in the film... Uh, afterwards and there was also a sort of pop-up art gallery 
which we were invited to a party after the film, which the walls were lined with framed storyboards from the actual production costumes from the actual production. And if you, if you know the film, they're like the nurse's outfit, uh, pardon me, the nurse's outfit from the end of the film was there on a mannequin. Uh, the shirt where one of the characters gets shot in the chest was there with the blood stain still on it. Um, there was the prosthetic head of one, again, in case I don't want to give spoilers, but a character gets killed at the end of the film that they had the prosthetic head. A character gets killed in the middle of the film. They had another <laughs> prosthetic head. Uh, and they were incredible pieces of art in, in like truly affects art. And uh, several appendages, let's say, on display. The infamous. I would, no, I, no, don't say that because that's. I like don't say what that is, just in case people haven't se- seen it, because that's such a shock. It's just I would say something like, like one of the most controversial talked about scenes. The prop was there, or something like that. Okay. All right. One of the most controversial talked about scenes. I'm probably going to leave all of that in, by the way. (laughs) That's what he said. Uh, Thank you. Uh, There is an extremely controversial sequence in the film and the prop involved in that scene was on display. Except they didn't use a prop in the movie. You're horrible. (laughs) You're really horrible. (laughs) Great, now I have that image in my head. Uh, And they have the storyboards from that sequence on the wall. That's one of the pictures I sent Mm -hmm. to you. And they had the machetes on display. They also unearthed, which is the company that is, uh, my impression is going to do another release of this film. Uh, Unearthed is the video company. Uh, They had, where they were selling other DVDs on their their, uh, label. And the director and actress did a a nice Q&A afterwards. Uh, They explained... Uh, some of the political and philosophical standing in the film, like what they were going for. And it's such a dark film, Mike, that, and, and I want to say to you, this is one of those moments where like, I I just, when you sent me that text, I just thought, really? He wants me to go see this? Cause I, I thought the whole reason you sent me that is because you wanted me to go get pictures of the art exhibit. Well, I mean that too. That, that That's why I thought you sent me that text. <laughs> no, I just thought it would be important for you to see again. Uh, well, uh, Mike showed me this film the first time and it traumatized me. <laughs> it, it really, really, it's one of those films that is so disturbing, but it's so well made and the performances are good. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's just one of those films that sticks with you because of the craft. Mm-hmm. And you can't deny that a statement is being made, even if you hate the statement or disagree with the statement. So all of that violence, the shocking scenes, the controversial stuff, um, the over-the-top sexual content, all of it, it was so shocking to me that the thing that surprised me, Mike, was the movie started to unfold and... Are you talking about now or when you first saw it? No, the when I saw it this the, the, this past week, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't remember probably ninety seven percent of the movie. Wow, it was like watching a film for the first time, and I remembered little bits and pieces of some of the really like disturbing the the stuff that hit me. What I didn't remember is that there's actually some really interesting philosophical conversation about cinema in it, in the middle of the film. 
And there's also, it's got a political background because it's about how life horrible, how horrible life can be uh, and how out of control you can be in your own world. And that's partially a political statement, apparently, from, from the filmmakers, it sounds like. Some of that resonated with me the first time, but watching it again the second time, it really did hit me as a well-made movie. And it's, it's, it's a well-made movie that I cannot recommend to m- m- most of the people in my life. <laughs> I, I just can't. I can't recommend that people invite this kind of imagery and stuff into their brain they have to go find it on their own. Like, that's how I feel about certain subjects. Um, there are certain films that I would never recommend anyone see unless they were prepared and chose to see it. But I, I would never go to somebody and say, you absolutely have to see a Serbian film, which is kind of what you did with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of forced you to watch it <laughs> during one of my movie nights. Yeah, so it's like, oh, Russell, this is what's next. So seeing this a second time, Mike... I didn't remember the structure of the second half of the film, which that was the thing that surprised me was how do I not recall how this unfolds? Because there's a, there's a turning point in the middle of the film and I don't, I'm not going to be spoilerific here, but there's a turning point where it turns from a narrative moving forward to an investigation of something that has happened. And the, as you follow the character who's doing the investigating and you start learning more and more information, I had totally forgotten about that shift in tone and the shift in the structure of the film. And it's really a clever device and a good way of revealing what needs to be revealed. And so when you get to the final sequence of the film, it's utterly horrifying. Mm-hmm. And it hit me harder this time than it did the first time because it hit me more emotionally this time. The first time I was more shocked by what I was watching. Right. That this time I actually got behind the emotion of what is the effect that this is having on this man's family? What is this having on the effect of his life because of where he felt he was in his career? And this is very much about a man's work and he's in the possibly the twilight of his career. And that's all I want to say about that. But it, but that's a really interesting emotional study being done. So seeing it again, especially on a screen, helped too. Because it's it's so... It, you're just watching a theatrical experience rather than something uh, you know on a smaller screen, it had more impact. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm actually really glad that you recommended I go see this. And I, oh, I groaned when I got your text. I was like, really... <laughs> I know he's out of town. <sighs> yes, I will go take pictures of the art exhibit. Yes, I will go do this. And I and I actually went reluctantly. And I'll be the, I'll, I'll admit that to yeah, you. Yeah. I went reluctantly. Sorry. And but you know I would do that for you as a friend. Yeah. <laughs> and I ended up really appreciating the opportunity to see that Q&A and to watch this film again and this time on a screen. Good. Wouldn't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> But I understand that it's it's a it is a good horror film, very disturbing. Puppies, butterflies, <laughs> rainbows. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, well. So, but yeah, that's it is a very disturbing film. But I I will say I was thinking about it a lot over the couple of days after I saw it. It really stuck with me. 
I, I just I just think I was so shocked the first time that it didn't it didn't hit me emotionally, and this time it did. So I'm glad I gave it another chance. Good. Next up, August Underground. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I think that basically wraps up everything that we have done uh, with each of us being out of town at various times mm-hmm. and our schedules not matching and uh, trying to fit stuff in when we could around work and travel and uh, family obligations. Yeah. Um, the only thing I would want to mention is we did our guide to this year's Fringe Fest. That's up on the website, um, which is myhauntlife.com. Um, so we will probably see many of you at some of these shows. Um, there's not as much variety as last year like for example there's only two magic acts there doesn't seem to be as much um like horror like horror comedy slash horror musicals slash horror in general like Mm -hmm. there's still a ton but i don't know it just seems a bit different but yeah i that struck me as well like less magic less direct horror even though there's a couple of of horror oriented shows um and there is a lot of uh Female-themed, feminist-oriented stuff, uh, some political stuff, which I think is predictable uh, for this year. Yeah. Uh, I think that's timely. And one thing about Fringe is it usually is timely. Uh, So if you go to our list at myhauntlife.com and check out our listing, but also um, go to Hollywood Fringe and check out their schedule and check out the entire month of June, there are literally hundreds of shows to see Yeah, there's almost 400 shows and there is something that you want to see and the tickets are extremely affordable and there is a lot of variety there find something go support the fringe festival it's a wonderful fresh festival it is a chance for lots of new work lots of experimental work lots of companies to try things new go find something go support your local theater exactly and go to hollywoodfringe.org and search the shows. We'll see you there. Yeah, we'll be around there. So that's it. We caught up. For now. Yeah. For more information on us, you can go to myhauntlife.com on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all of those places. Search for My Haunt Life. Um, you can email us at mike at myhauntlife.com or russell at myhauntlife.com with two S's and two L's. Or you can call and leave a voicemail or a text at the haunt line, 515-HAUNT-LA. Yeah, we'll see you on Santa Monica Boulevard during Fringe. I'm Mike. And I'm Russell. See ya. Get out. Mm. We're done for now. Now, uh, wait. Uh, then. Then. <laughs> when? Soon. Where? There. Stop. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> I know I messed it up. <laughs> okay. Let's try this again. <laughs>